Welcome to Yapo Live, featuring conversations with top D2C leaders. On September 12th at Yapo's conference destination D2C, Tom Montgomery, co-founder, CMO, and CTO of Chubby's, sat down with Webb Smith at 2 p.m. to share insider tips, industry trends, and much more. So I want to kick this off with an important fact. Uh, Chubby's just began selling uh, Lederhosen. Is it Lederhosen or Lederhosen? Lederhosen, I Lederhosen? think. This crowd's got to know that. Uh, so I, I did a 23andMe and uh, found that I was 10% German. So I'm one of your newest customers. I literally just bought like, oh, yeah. back, backstage. <laughs> and, Necessary um, purchase. I got the shipping notification within, within a few minutes, so congratulations. Good, yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about the origin of Chubby's, the name, how you came about it. Um, and how you use that to build community for your product. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, Origin of Chubbies. So, uh, founded Chubbies a few years out of college. Um, I was working in venture capital, uh, looking at small businesses. Um, and the firm I was working for was really focused on kind of media and e-commerce. So, got, got kind of a good introduction to the e-commerce business that way. Uh, my co-founders were all friends of mine from school. Um, and we're in various different industries, private equity, corporate retail, startup land. Um, and so we would hang out. We, we were in San Francisco. Um, and if you find like a sunny day in San Francisco, everyone's outside. Everyone's throwing on a tank top or whatever, getting to the parks, uh, enjoying the sunshine. And so for us, that kind of ultimate embodiment of the weekend was throwing on a pair of tiny shorts um, and going out and having a good time with friends. And so uh, the way that we found said tiny shorts was always like some random different story. So one of these pairs of shorts was this old legendary pair of Lacoste shorts that had been handed down through generations. And it was like wearing at the seams, but no one would give it up. Uh, I found mine through just thrift shops. People would gift me short like tropical shorts with um, <laughs> like birthday presents and things like that. So, um, so there was kind of this unifying theme that was like you couldn't find these things in the places that you want, you know, in, in any places where you're normally shopping. Thrift only, I'm assuming. Thrift only, sure. yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then kind of the, the release of the weekend for us, particularly in San Francisco where it's normally so gray, um, was really powerful with that product. And that was a product that defined our weekends. Um, and it was a product that was just ridiculous enough that, that we could build a brand that we felt was, was different, was unique, um, was a statement. Um, and so, so we started experimenting. We built uh, about 50 pairs of shorts, took them out to the shores of Lake Tahoe for a 4th of July back in 2011, um, and had this whole plan to kind of set up a booth, go kind of, you know, group to group selling them on the beach. Um, and what happened was people saw what we were up to, instantly came to our, our uh, kind of area, sold out of these products right when we landed on the beach, um, and, uh, and we were off and running. Uh, and, and so the thing that we saw was like just such a visceral reaction, because back in 2011, shorts were a lot longer. The, the kind of, you know, the, the shorts du jour were very, uh, were down below the knees, were cargo shorts with, you know, all sorts of pulley systems on them and stuff like that. And so it was very different. I'm assuming it takes a special person to be a pioneer for Chubbies in 2011, 2012. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about your target market. You have geography, you have uh, income, you have all these lines of demarcation for who your target market is, you have name. So like what percentage of your target customer base is named Chad? 
Uh, don't know. That's, that's a piece of data we should get. Uh, but I think it's a, that's an important point, is like uh, kind of perception versus reality sure. of the brand, right? So uh, one of the things that we really, really lean upon is inclusiveness, is not falling into some stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a customer. Enough. Obviously, my name's not Chad. There you I'm, go. I'm in the other category, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of what you've built so far. Um, it's really good stuff. Uh, so the next line of questioning I have is about also about the upstart process. Why did you choose Shopify? Who are your top five or six vendor, vendor customers that you like? Um, you know, whether it's Yapo, whether it's Loop, BVA, um, Optimizely, which tools have you used to grow the fastest? Like which ones are the standout tools? Yeah, I, I think you know, Shopify is something that from day one has been just ease of doing business was, was phenomenal. Uh, we were one of the first groups on Shopify Plus. We were the people who were kind of early days asking for more functionality, asking for more, more of a feature set. That was, that was Poma's team, right? Jonathan Poma? Or was that a different so agency? So we were working with Poma at the time. Poma had been at Homage, okay. um, and then he founded Rocket Code, which, which eventually got sold to BVA. Um, and, uh, and he was the first person who kind of developed our, our site along with me um, in the early days. And so, yeah, I was rubbing elbows with Poma to get things up and running. Um, but so Shopify from day one was a crazy tool that allowed us to scale uh, still today, right? So it's been uh, eight years on the platform, and we haven't felt the need to switch. Um, Yachtpo is one that for sure, like we're here, I'm speaking, it's, it's an amazing product. We've, we have... Uh, one of the things that we really rely on, and as we talk about community, is getting feedback from our customers is extremely important to us. It's instantly actionable. Um, and so Yapo gives us that access. And so one of the things that, that we've been really leaning into since we've been on Yapo is combing through customer reviews to understand what are people liking about our products as well as disliking. Because what people enjoy and what people like, you can turn around and use in your marketing. Um, and what people dislike, obviously, you can kind of very much target and go fix. Um, um, so definitely a powerful tool for us. Um, and I'd say anything that gives us data and feedback, we crave. Um, and so Yapo does that. Uh, recent acquisi acquisition of Swell, we're Swell customers. Um, and uh, and, and we, we basically have this kind of infrastructure that gives us a relationship uh, and data about our customers that's really, really cool. Speaking of data, obviously you have a great feedback loop uh, with those reviews and with the feedback you get privately and publicly from your customers. Uh, what does your ad spend look like, if you don't mind me? T like what percentage, rather, uh, of your traffic is devoted to um, we work, paid advertising? We work to have it not be very much. I mean, I, I think one of the things that kind of is constantly on our minds, as well as a lot of D2C companies' minds, is what happens uh, when prices inflate on, on Facebook. What happens... Um, if channels stop working as well. Um, and so one of the ways that we really, really, really work hard to alleviate that, that issue is building towards brand and building towards our own traffic sources. And so if we look at revenue, the vast, vast, vast majority of it comes from own channels. Okay. So um, we're building towards organic search, direct traffic, email traffic, things that we can control a little bit more. Um, that being said, advertising is a tremendous tool to help us do that. Um, What's your best channel right now? Our best channel is always organic, um, but we lean the most into Facebook for okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. But we experiment a lot. Like the moment we become convinced that one channel is working the best is the moment we're starting to kind of miss. So we're constantly sending out test spend. We're constantly iterating through uh, different 
places where we can build community and build resonance. If we can't so, do it there, then we typically shy away from it. But On that note, I think there was an article today from Business of Fashion about your approach to Snapchat. So let's yeah. talk about Snapchat, TikTok, and wh where you see the potential for Generation Z. Yeah, Snapchat's amazing. I mean, I think audience-wise, obviously, Generation Z is a little bit more heavy on Snapchat. Um, it's an interesting platform for us because um, we're still trying to understand the metrics side of it. You know, we thrive on data, and Snapchat is a little bit less um, open about data. Um, and so understanding success of content, understanding how your community is growing, what are the things that you're doing to grow community um, are still formational there. But what's been awesome is to see their advertising products grow. Um, and, uh, and so that's been something we've been leaning into and testing through recently. Um, and it's also a platform where we can um, test with a smaller audience um, and, uh, and kind of explore things that, that might work. We, uh, we, a couple of years ago, tried to, f to build like, like a full episodic piece of content just through Snapchat that was like a four-episode series. Each episode was something like 15 minutes, and we were filming them in like 15-second snaps um, <laughs> live. <laughs> um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a platform where we can be a little bit more experimental without having to showcase something to the entire audience that we have on Instagram. Um, but it, it's growing. Like it's, it's interesting. Their ads product is really, really good so far. So. Um, how do you balance, talking about brand, like how do you balance like the masculinity of your brand with also, you know, you have a tinge of, of comedy, humor, you don't take your brand too seriously. Um, how do you achieve that balance between who you feel your target market is and how you appeal to the, to the, greater, to the greater community above and beyond that target audience? Yeah, feedback is huge. Um, uh, feedback is huge for us. Um, and our, you know, our community is extremely diverse. Um, and so one of the things that we've done is we've, we've heard certain bits of feedback around like certain elements of our brand that people find maybe stereotypical or, or potentially alienating. Um, and give me examples. So I think your comment, right? Like Chad, you know, I, I think that's an idea that, that we're sensitive to because it's exclusive. Um, and, uh, and our brand is so much more diverse than kind of boiling it down to something like that. And so, we, we uh, began a campaign uh, maybe four years ago that's a man model search. And so basically, we scour our customer base and go find uh, the, the people that are representative of our brand from our customer base. And so um, each year, we've put out, uh, we'll basically select 20, 20 potential male models, um, and then our community will vote on the top 10. Um, and they will become kind of the faces of Chubbies uh, for, for the next couple of for years. For what it's worth, I think you have of the most diverse marketing that I've seen in the direct-to-consumer space. Uh, I think you guys should be applauded for that. Um, when, it goes to, when it comes to the male modeling, uh, you, you take a different approach than most brands. Uh, <laughs> there are men of different body shapes and sizes. Uh, let's talk about that. Like, how do you... Is that, is that inadvertent? Is that... No, I mean, so our name is Chubbies. Um, you know, spoiler alert, we, we started to be different. And we started, we, we were born in the era of 2011 was actually like Abercrombie Fitch was what I grew up with. And it was shirtless dudes spraying cologne on you as you're walking by. Um, and that was, a, that was not something that my, gen, like my group of friends related to. And so Chubbies was, was in a name, like immediately the opposite of that. Um, and the product was an elastic waistband 
product because we didn't want it to be too tailored. We wanted you to be able to gain some weight. Um, and we wanted to be that kind of more ridiculous um, uh, side of, of you know, quote unquote fashion. Um, and you know, we thought of men's fashion as taking itself way too seriously and being way too uh, exclusive. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were building something that was more inclusive. And I think we've learned more and more and more each year about how to do that well. Um, but from the start, we wanted to make sure that everyone felt welcome as a part of the brand. So you've been around for six, seven years now? Eight years, yeah. Eight years, wow. Eight okay, years, so yeah. you've, in that time, you've raised 11 million in equity, 5 million in debt. Uh, let's talk about capital efficiency. How have you gone about choosing your brick and mortar retail locations, your wholesale partners, uh, your approach to marketing? Um, that's, these days, that's a relatively small amount of money yes. for a company of your scale. Yeah. Um, how, how have you made that happen? Uh, well, so first, I think culture, right? Culture in the company is um, scrappy to say the least. Um, and so, uh, the team is, is really oriented towards what's the return on what we're working on. And so when we, when we think about our advertising spend, we're constantly thinking about incremental ROAS within d different customer groups and making sure that we have profitability on first purchase. Ex explain ROAS for the audience. Oh, sorry, uh, return on ad spend. So basically we spend a dollar, we return $2 in revenue. Um, and so that would be like a 2X return on ad spend. And so for Are us, you doing that in-house or have you outsourced that to an agency? We do pretty much all of it in-house. Awesome. Uh, SEM, search engine marketing, we have an agency. Okay. Um, we work with Tenuity Elite SEM, um, and they've been great. Um, but for all of our social content development, all of our social uh, media planning, we do in-house. Is there, is there a reason for that? Uh, we were early on in the platform of, of Facebook ads, and, and uh, I'd say we've learned a lot about how to build content towards the things that work on that platform. Uh, one of the really cool things about Facebook and other social platforms uh, is that your audience becomes you know, advertising if you can do it well, if you can create a conversation. Um, and so from day one, we've been focused on content that drives shareability. Um, and it grows community as well as delivers your more impressions for the same dollar amount. Um, and so we know a lot about that. That's, that's expertise in-house. We are constantly pushing the envelope for that. And so we've never felt the need to outsource. SEM is something that was different for us. Sure. Where we didn't know a ton about it. We were coming late to the game. And that's why we're comfortable outsourcing it. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you have five stores now? Four or five? Oh, we have 12. 12 Jeez. stores. But it's, it's been like an accordion. We've gone up and down and up and down. We actually had a store here in New York, uh, closed it as quickly as we could. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Explain why. Because I know that we've talked in the past about who that target market is, what part of the countries are most receptive to your brand, how you need to sell products year-round. Right, right. So, yeah, so, so a piece of what is, what is vital to run a retail location is that it works year-round. Um, despite our best efforts, we haven't, and despite later hosen, we haven't found a product category that really activates in the wintertime. Um, and so uh, for that reason, a market like New York is really, really tough, particularly given the prices that you're paying. And so um, our top stores are typically in places where you have year-round at least quasi-warmth. And so uh, we see a lot of success out of places like Charleston, Santa Monica, Florida, um, places where you're comfortable wearing shorts a lot of the time and where maybe it's a couple months out of the year where our stores will kind of have a little bit of drag. Um, I think the other piece is just New York is expensive. And so the way we entered the market was we did a sight unseen 
uh, lease um, in a place that that in a, in a place where we knew it didn't have foot traffic. Um, it was over in Nolita, and it was just off the side of a park next to like a weird bar uh, and. We got in the store, and there were holes in the ceiling, holes in the floor. Uh, there was actually a backyard. It was a really cool space, uh, but the ceilings were maybe like eight feet high. <laughs> it was just a weird, weird spot, and, and we realized why they did a sight unseen lease and why they sure. were giving us a hot deal. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so, so good learning and kind of shows you how we approach uh, any sort of retail location is we find flexible lease arrangements, relatively low cost, um, and we invest small amounts in them to kind of test and see if we can build profitability. And then we slowly add more to them. How many of those are short-term leases? Uh, so we have a few long-term leases in stores that we've tested and vetted. Okay. Uh, pretty much everything else is a short-term lease with an option to go longer. So that's six months, 12 months? It depends. Okay. Depends on the place. Um, so we'll you go, take you go in, you build something us. out, you build out the, uh, the yeah. set with your team and... Go in, build something out. We've since been able to invest a little bit more in the build outs. Uh, I think our first build out was probably a few thousand bucks. Okay. Um, and it wasn't the prettiest store, but it uh, displayed product. Were the, um, were the ceilings at least taller than eight feet? They were. They okay. were, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was up a stairwell and like kind of around a corner, so you still, you still had some uh, hair on it. But, uh, but it was fun. That was a store in San Francisco. Okay. Um, so it was also kind of our place where we could experiment and, and, uh, and kind of learn a little bit about the, the, the process. Um, since we're able to invest a little bit more, we just opened up a store in Sarasota, Florida that looks incredible. The team has done an awesome job there. So we're starting to get a little bit more familiar with kind of the ins and outs, um, but we've certainly had, a, had an experience getting there. So let's talk knockoffs really quickly. Uh, one of my last questions. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that when you launched, J.Crew tried their approach within a few years. Yeah, there, I mean, everybody tried it, right? Um, I think we launched, and the next year we saw Abercrombie with a like exact replica of our product, um, kind of to a T. Uh, Forever 21's men's business had one. J. I didn't Crew. know that they had a men's business. Yeah, they had a men's business. Okay. Uh, J. Crew. So, so I, I think everybody tried the inseam. I think what's interesting is that, uh, and this is one of the interesting things about focus and, and trying to come in and disrupt is, is that, you know, what we've heard since as we've spoken to some of these brands is that, that that length of short and that style of short just didn't sell very well for them. Um, and so there was something interesting about that in terms of just like who their demographic was. Um, but I think more than that, we had been building community and building brand around a shorter short, around an above the knee short. Um, and so we had a little bit more credibility than people who had been who had been prior hawking, per, you know, hawking very very long right. uh, shorts. And so, um, so you know, I think there's a piece of it that's that, and there's a piece of it that is just building brand. And so from day one, we were really intent on, like I said, basically building back into these own channels, building community, building your email list, your Facebook following, understanding your customers. Um, and fortunately, we've been able to to um, to build you know a lifestyle brand now, uh, which is awesome. Speaking of brand, which other brands are doing it right in your opinion? So I think Lululemon is kind of a gold standard for me. Um, like they have a brand that hits and they have a product that hits and that's like great. Um, and I, you know, look to them as, as a model, like you can see like publicly they have, I think 20% EBITDA margins um, and they're selling $120 like, 
you know, product that everyone is buying many of. Um, and they're maintaining kind of a, an awesome sense of brand throughout, right. um, which has been great. Uh, they're a great model. And they're one of the models that's more recent that, is, that has achieved massive scale and gone public and have like, seen that sort of success. So I think they're obviously a gold standard. Um, in the DTC space. In the DTC space, I think Mizzen is one. That's, that's oh, that's really nice yeah. of you. Yeah, I think Mizzen is one. Um, I think, again, like great product combined with really cool branding um, and, and getting people on board who represent your community, right? Like getting Phil Mickelson involved, I think, is a really, really cool angle. Um, so I think there are a lot of people taking shots at it. I think the interesting thing about DTC is how it evolves, because uh, it's evolved so much since in the, over the last eight years. Let's say four years ago, you'd be talking to you know, people in the market or investors, and they'd be talking about how it's e-com, e-com, e-com. Nowadays, people are looking at a more well-rounded portfolio. Yeah, and so yeah. It, because they're starting to realize there are some limits to e-com growth. You're starting to see if you were buying traffic four years ago, it's really, really expensive now. You can't lean on that anymore. You're either going to have to go extremely unprofitable, raise a ton of money, and maybe achieve an exit, um, or you're going to have to become self-sustainable. Um, and not to mention that still, for us even, 80, 70 to 80% of our market is still offline and, and yeah. the transactions for our product are still happening offline. So, so you, know, you mentioned exits. What does the, the long term look for Chubbies? I mean, is that something that you're seeking out? Is it something that you're not thinking about right now? It's, we're, not, we're not really thinking about it right now. We, we want to build something that has huge positive impact on our community. Um, for us, we're building towards uh, a feeling and a moment that is the Friday at 5 p.m. feeling. That is the moment a person releases from their work week and uh, takes time for their mental health, physical health, uh, relaxes, has some fun. Um, so, so that moment is something that we're wrapping the entire brand around. And for us, we, wanna, we want that to hit, right? We want that to be, to be resonant. We want it to not just be resonant um, with a certain demographic. We want to be resonant as, as broadly as we possibly can. That's the goal for us. And that's what we're hacking away at. And that's what the team is rallying around. And it's a really, really cool mission. We don't need it to be uh, an exit for now um, because you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is make people happy with the products that we sell and the content we put out. So um, that's it for now, and we'll see how kind of everything shakes out. <clears throat> so just circling back to brand message, obviously you have a very strong conviction when it comes to how you perceive your own brand and how you want others to perceive it. Uh, is there a value to that? Uh, here's the context. We see a lot of brands pursue a, a very sizable of their strategy going to Facebook marketing or, or Google ad spend. Uh, can you put a price tag on, on your brand equity right now? And if so, throw that out there. Like, what would that be? Is it, yeah. <laughs> um, can we put a price tag on it? Yes, we can, but it's nuanced, right? So I think one of the pieces that, that is interesting is what do you do when you have to cut Facebook spend? What do you do if you see your economics go upside down on a certain channel that maybe you've been reliant on for a really long time? And so we've seen that now a handful of times. Yeah. Um, and throughout, we've been able to grow. Um, and so I think what the kind of measurable there is, is are your own channels growing and producing, right? And so that is a testament to brand in some way, shape, or form. Now, is that circling back to what's the value of an Instagram follower versus a Facebook follower versus an email follower? Yes, we have those numbers, um, but the fundamental piece is that your business is growing because the community is, is 
growing it um, instead of your business is growing because you have a ton of cash you can throw into a channel. And so that's the measurable, that's the KPI for us. And we have a bunch of different ways of getting there, but ultimately we want to see our marketing spend as a percentage of our total overall revenue going down over time. Uh, we want to see our organic channels growing over time. And that's, that's the guiding light for us. Well, uh, I don't think there's a company right now that's doing a better job of that than your company. Uh, you're, you're certainly one of the 10 or 20 that I would point out. So I, I think that's a, a good place to stop for our discussion. Sweet. But uh, I think it's been wonderful. Thanks for It's a pleasure to finally meet you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, likewise. Awesome. Thanks, folks. Thank you.